Welcome to the Liberty Cafe, where oppression is on the menu. Hello, welcome to episode 33 of the Liberty Cafe. Really blessed to have you with us today, and really blessed also to have our sponsors with us, Texas Scorecard. Well, if you have taken a look around you recently, you might have noticed that things are a mess. And we're wondering, well, how did we get to this place? Why are things in the state they are? Why do we look at the government sometimes more as an enemy than as our helper, the people who are supposed to be protecting us? Why do we look at people in the culture sometimes as our enemies instead of our fellow human beings? Well, there's a lot of reasons that we can look at, but maybe one thing that we might talk about, and in fact, we're going to talk about today on the Liberty Cafe, is that not everybody's paying attention to what God has to tell us. And of course, that's true in our personal lives, but it's also true when it comes to what God has to tell us about society and culture and and specifically government. So today on the Liberty Cafe, we have as our guest, Luke Macias. Uh, For those of you who listen to my podcast, you probably don't need to be introduced to Luke because he has a a very uh, great podcast that is also being sponsored by Texas Scorecard, and a lot more people listen to him than me. So I'm (laughs) blessed to have him with us today. But but Luke, in addition to being a a great uh, political consultant and really, frankly, an, an advocate for liberty, uh, just on his own, outside of his professional life, is also a, a good Christian man who spends a lot of time trying to look at what God has to tell us about how we should live our lives, both personally and in the world of public policy. So really glad to have you on today joining us, Luke. Yeah, thanks, Bill. Absolutely. And and as you pointed out, um, you know, we, we talk a lot about um, government. And then as Christians, we talk about our faith. Um, I was recently given the honor of, of preaching a Sunday sermon um, at our church. And I realized that, uh, you know, I go around the state and speak to Republican groups and conservative organizations all the time. And prepping for one of those talks or even a podcast uh, is a pretty quick endeavor. Right. It's something we are surrounded by. So, oh, give me three or four things he wants to talk about and I'll get up and give a 30 minute speech. And um, when I was given a heads up by my pastor that he wanted me to consider doing this, it t- I asked for plenty of time and I got three weeks to prepare, you know, 29 minutes. And I feel like I took all three weeks because uh, it was a little more serious. And, and you texted me about this conversation a little while ago. And I remember telling you, hey, can I have some time? Because I don't feel like jumping on just tomorrow and saying whatever I think about what the scripture says, because that's a little bit more of a weighty conversation. So I think it's kind of good for us to recognize uh, the severity of the subject that we're talking about today, right? Um, it's, it's easier for us to talk about uh, whether Green New Deal energy projects should get, you know, government subsidies. Um, and, and so we can give opinions and thoughts on the economic outcomes of that and the cost to the taxpayer. But today we're trying to have a conversation about like, what do we feel like the Lord is desiring out of government and then out of citizens and then how citizens interact with government. So yeah, I'd love to, I, I'm looking forward to this conversation seeing where it goes. Yeah, me too. I, I understand what you're talking about. As you know, I teach, I teach mm-hmm. sixth grade history over at a school. And, but I also teach before that I teach a discipleship class. And so a lot of times 
you know, I, I, I'm working hard. I'm doing my best, but sometimes I'm not at the top of my game sometimes in preparation wise. And so that strikes me a lot less heavily when I'm walking into my history class than it is when I'm walking into my discipleship class. Although I'm trying to bring a biblical perspective to both of them. When yeah. we're talking directly about scripture, most of the time, it, it does weigh on you. So I'm glad we've had this chance to prepare for this, but it's also great yeah. because a lot of people have talked about this before us. A lot of mm-hmm. godly men and women have done a lot of research on this. And so yeah. it helps to be standing on their shoulders as we come yes. to this. Yes. Well, you are, an, like I said, an activist and a political consultant mm-hmm. working in, in Texas. And so I think we can look at a lot of this generally, but at some point in time, I want us to get down and see, apply this to Texas. But before we get to that point, let's kind of look at a couple of verses of scripture, if we could, and and see how this sort of applies to this concept of, you know, biblically driven public policy or or God and government. So oftentimes when we get into this conversation, we hear folks go into Romans 13. That's the Mm -hmm. classical place. And among other things, uh, that passage says, Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resist what God has appointed. Mm. Some people, and even within the, the Christian church, tend to take that as almost an absolute, that you know, it, it almost gives the authorities the ability to do whatever they want to do, and we need to listen to them and do basically whatever we want them to do, w- within some limits perhaps. But then we go over to Matthew 22, and in verse 21, this is the the story where Jesus is being or attempted being tricked by the Sadducees and Pharisees and the scribes and, and those folks, and they're trying to get him to choose between God and Caesar. And we said, should you should Jews pay taxes? Apparently, and mm. and you know either outcome from their point is going to win the game for him because if he says, yes. "Well, pay your taxes," then the Jews are going to get mad at him, and if he says don't pay your taxes and Caesar's going to get mad at him. Right? Yes. Well, Jesus of course has a little more wisdom than they do. And yeah. so he asked them to give him a denarius and he looks at it and said, whose picture is on this? And they said, well, Caesar's. And then he answers, therefore render to Caesar, the things that are Caesar's and to God, the things that are God's. And in that passage, we see that there are things that even Caesar doesn't have hmm. the right to, Mm-hmm. that God even is above him. So could you kind of talk about the context of what, how we see government today, maybe trying to usurp God's role in society, or how, how do you see all that coming out? Yeah, so it, it, it is an interesting point, and I think we'll probably get into a little bit of a conversation of, you know, you have church fathers like Dietrich Bonhoeffer, you know, who were involved in actively plotting um Basically, you're actively plotting against the government that existed in Nazi Germany. And and if you haven't read his biography or if listeners haven't read his biography, I think that would be a phenomenal one, the one by Metaxas, because it gets into so many of these conversations that were happening with active pastors who were discussing what is it that we should or shouldn't do and how much should we not push back against the government. I think your point is, is taken to the extent that... Um, are you supposed to render to Caesar what is Caesar's? Yes. Would Caesar potentially try to take things from you that are God? Would he try to basically be God? And we know that, by the way, uh, if if you're a parent 
over your child and you decide to be God instead of allowing God to be God of that child, if you are government and you decide that I am God in this instance, then you're acting in a way that is far outside of the authority that you're given. And at that moment in time, and I think we are, we see this in history, Sir Thomas More and, you know, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, where there was a line, a relatively clear line where they said, you're trying to abuse a believer and, and you use us as tools of you of the government, of the state, of the king, and we're not going to allow that to happen. So there, there is a clear line. The question is, where exactly is that line, right? And where, where do we draw that? And then how does that affect our lives? You, you talked on something about uh, instituting powers, uh, you know, meaning uh, it's clear that Romans 13 says that these, these, this government is instituted by God to do these things, right? So we, get, we can get into some of the specifics there in Romans. One of the things I appreciate about the Lutheran church, which I attend, is that we pray for our president every Sunday. And, you know, if you attend a Lutheran church, you're going to pray for President Trump when he's president, and you're going to pray for President Biden when he's president. And you can disobey either one of those presidents potentially at different points in time, but it doesn't prevent us from acknowledging the fact that God is sovereign and on the throne. And these other governing factions, whether it's the mayor of San Antonio in our city or the county judge or the governor or the president, yes, they are clearly there. Yes, we know that God does desire some things from them. Um, and so we can lift them up in prayer in that way. And and I do think that that's another good thing for like Christians to kind of keep in mind. It helps us provide context when, and, and especially per, for context for me, because I often am doing battle with many of these governing entities Monday through Sunday. And so how do, you know, I think those things are helpful to kind of orient us in our, in our mindset. Yeah, I, I agree completely. Well, one of the things that we see often is that when the government is trying to become God mm-hmm. and some Christians sort of miss that in some ways. And, and it mm-hmm. seems to me that in some ways they they miss that because, well, one, they don't look at the Bible because there's a lot of restrictions on what governors or rulers mm-hmm. should do in the Bible. But even before that, they, they sort of miss the fact that there are multiple spheres of government in mm-hmm. this world. Uh, there's the, of course, individual government. We we are yeah. all supposed to govern ourselves. But beyond yeah. that, we have these, these structural forms of government that are visible to the world out there. One of those, of course, is the family, the the fundamental mm-hmm. core purpose of that, which was from the very beginning when you had Adam and Eve, mm-hmm. and then they were supposed to do what? Be fruitful and multiply, have kids, mm-hmm. and raise those kids up inside the family and nurture them and mature them and grow them and disciple them even. right? And, and that hasn't gone away, I mean, because of the fall, that's still there. And then the second one is church government. We're all under the authority of church government. Those of us who belong to churches and go to churches on a regular basis, we're under that authority. And then, of course, there's civil government. And so mm-hmm. do, do you see the fact that there are three forms of government? Did that actually just in and of itself put, put some limits on civil government because they're supposed to operate in different spheres? No, I think you're absolutely right. I mean, clearly there's clearly that there there's an extent to which um that, well first of all there's realms that every single form of government operates in right and it shouldn't surprise us when we look at civil government and this actually goes back to Romans 13 one of the things one of the few things they're given the specific job to do is punish evil doers right and uh, and i think that that does give 
and that that aligns with the Christian ethic that you're not supposed to just enact vengeance on your own. Right. So this is like a specific one set aside. I think we'd agree for more civil government. I'd love to hear if you if you would disagree on that issue. Um, it shouldn't surprise us that civil government today does largely does not punish evildoers. In fact, uh, one of the reasons that many of us are frustrated is that evil goes unpunished. And right. that evil could be in the form of of, um, you know, the the business owners, the crony capitalists who basically go and pillage these communities and their resources and their tax dollars for their own personal profit. It could be in the form of abortions that happen. It could be in the form of, you know, children who are mistreated and abused and sexually manipulated by, uh, you know, the transgendering and sexual revolution of our society. So you go, okay, this is a, an area that civil government's clearly given the role and responsibility and they're not doing it. Oh, by the way, when we talk about this, they're now coming into things that were the role of the church in society and saying, hey, we're going we're gonna to start doing what you do, right? And, and you have basically the area of government whose job it was, they have kind of the simplest job, to be completely honest. I mean, how, it's not as hard to punish an evil doer. Like you kill this person, that's wrong. The harder thing exactly. is like figuring out what to do about homeless people, right? And how to give generously and the charity and the things that the church is called to do. And you go, well, the person, in some ways, it seems like the, the role the government's been given is a little bit of the easier job. They haven't done that well. They now kind of want to just do everybody's job. And that's where we get into this discussion of what is the role of government. Also, the commands that us, I know that I feel like this does get into a little bit of the conversation around um, the role, because so many Christians who today advocate for a larger form of government are often doing so because of God's clear heart for those in need and those that have less, right? Um, I was talking this last week with a, a single mother who I know who had a, a pretty difficult situation medically that came up that prevented her from working. And this is somebody I've known since I was a teenager. And so several of us have been coming alongside her and helping financially cover the next several months, right? And in conversation you know, with her, these are not easy things to figure out and to handle and to navigate, but these are things we're clearly called to do. If you know someone here in your midst that is in need, you're supposed to provide for that need. We're in the time of Lent right now, leading up to Easter. And part of Lent is a call of generosity and almsgiving. So these are things that we've clearly got to be orienting ourselves to. And I think you and I can both admit that the church as a whole is probably not orienting itself as well towards those things as it could be. But it doesn't mean, and what I think we often see, is an abdication of that authority where Christians go, I want to help people in need, therefore I want to pass this government program that's going to take a bunch of money from people who aren't me and is going to give to them, and that's the Christian thing to do, right? And it's a separation from the fact that our responsibility to be generous is actually a call on us, right? And Christ shows that in parables of the widow's might and other things like that, where you you see clearly that he's wanting every single one of us to give generously to him and to those in need. And so it, it's sad to see that that area in particular has really been taken away from the church. And that's probably a joint responsibility. I wouldn't solely blame civil government. I do blame those in civil government who basically tried to just take over all of this area of caring for those in need. And then I'm also going to say that we as a church, regardless of whether they're going to basically 
crouch in on our territory have to step up and still continue to look for and meet those needs as well. I don't know, but that's kind of some of the uh, thoughts as we, we talk about those kind of sep- – it's the separation of powers, right? And we're actually – the funny thing is we can take that to Texas, right? So we have a current debate going on on the governor wanting to do things the legislature should do and the legislature. Interestingly enough, though, let me kind of give this example. Right All now, right. I think that there are a bunch of state representatives who actually don't want legislative authority. So in the time of a pandemic, when the governor was shutting down businesses, most state reps were actually very happy to tell their local bar owner and their local salon owner, hey, man, I'm so sorry you're shut down. Yeah, they, uh, they weren't calling for a special session. I can't do anything about it. I wish I could, right? In some ways, it's like, whew, good thing I don't have to go vote on this because I don't know how I would because there be people mad at me on both sides. Great. I don't have to make a decision. And that's actually a window into some of the conscience of the church that says, hey, you know what? Good thing they're passing that expansion of Medicaid, you know, let's go ask for an expansion of Medicaid, regardless of whether that's actually a responsible thing, regardless of whether that will actually lead to more healthy Texans, regardless of whether, but it'll make me feel like I'm doing what I'm supposed to do as a church because these people need help and I'm asking the government to help them more, right? So it's it's an abdication of that authority in the same way that the legislature could say, hey, why don't the governor just pass a couple laws and I'll say whether I agree or disagree and we'll be fine with it. So I don't know, but th- there's a little bit yeah. of examples. Well, I, th- I think that's the uh, basically the, the the thesis and the the story behind in Marvin Olasky's uh, the the crisis of American compassion, right? Because he goes back into the eighteen hundreds in his book and and looks at the history of the welfare state and goes back in the eighteen hundreds and looks at it and essentially the the church and individuals it, it wasn't just the church but largely the church and individuals through the church who were making these efforts to help the poor and he talks a lot about in there about ad- adoption for instance because i mean all over the northeast there were just homeless children their parents had been lost for a variety of reasons and they had nowhere to go and so hmm. volunteers took these kids and they loaded them up on trains and they moved them like to fort worth texas and one of mm. the largest adoption uh, centers in the in the country mm. is in Fort Worth, Texas, because that's where the train stopped. And these kids, mm. they, they didn't get picked up anywhere else along the line. And so that was the last place. And that's where they needed mm. help. And and so over time, though, you saw not that the church was doing it perfectly, not that individuals were doing it perfectly. But over time, yeah. you saw the the. The, the radicals, if you will, the progressives come in and say, well, they're not doing it good at all. We can do it better. And they just started taking it over and over and over again. That happened, of course, in the late 1800s and then into the Wilson era, the, the progressives in the 1900s. And it just has gotten worse in recent years. And, and so I agree with you that the, the church, some portions of the church, and, yep. and even those of us who want to do the right thing, sometimes are relieved when the responsibility is taken care of yes. us, taken away from us. But nonetheless, uh, it seems that most of it is left with, is, you could lay a lot of the blame on people who don't want individuals doing things. They want the government to do things. And there's also, a, um, uh, you know, and, and some of this is a societal problem, but I think it definitely lies within the church. There's, there is a mindset that if it is kind of a centralized decision, that, you know, is a decision for the masses, then it's the right decision in a sense. And so there's this overall trust in this central authority, um, as opposed to saying, 
these things should be dealt with all in different settings and circumstances, and each family should be handled very differently. We see that central planning is just a generally bad idea, right? Because we can kind of know that the more you try to cookie cutter um, enacting you know, uh, and when I say this, I feel like the biggest, uh, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but one of the bigger areas where there's definitely significant friction within churches is, is, uh, is Medicaid. It's, it's government funding and programs. In fact, this came out in the survey we did of people that attended churches. I don't, I, I remember sending that to you, Bill, right before November, but one of the conversations that have been had. And interestingly enough, if you haven't read this article, um, I'm actually going to pull it up, but we had done this at Texas Scorecard. And if you go to Texas Scorecard, um, uh, in fact, I'm going to find it, but essentially we did a poll of Texans and, and this poll was to overview what church attending Texans believed politically, both who they were voting for and how they would end up falling on policy. And I thought this was a really interesting poll because I had seen a lot of polling about different politicians, right? And they would say, oh, Christians are moving towards Biden or Christians are moving towards Trump. Evangelicals are moving this way. Um, but one, I, one thing I didn't see, and this gets into a broader discussion, but Christians as a whole, from a polling perspective, this will get a little policy and political wonky, but in order to be a Christian or an evangelical in a typical political survey, it's merely saying, I am an evangelical. Okay. So it's a self-identifying situation. You okay. say you're an evangelical. Okay. You are. And then your political views are aligned with what we would call an evangelical's political worldviews. And instead with this survey, we basically said, are you a, a, a Christian? And those would be Catholics and Protestants and, you know, and various denominations within Protestants. And then we said, how often do you attend church? And then we broke up the groupings into those who attend church regularly and those who don't. And I think one of the things you and I would agree on is that, um, you know, people who aren't actively practicing their faith, they might have certain worldviews and stuff, but it's really not an active reflection of the church as a whole. Um, and this gets I done, you know, people talk about this with um, divorce rates and they'll say, oh, well, a Christian is just as likely to get divorced as a non-Christian. That's it's kind of thrown out there. What's not recognized is the fact that, if you are somebody who is attending church services on a weekly basis, your likelihood of getting divorced is significantly lower than the rest of the American population. And why is that? You and I could have a whole nother podcast on that at some point. But I think the simple answer, just for the sake of moving on in the discussion, is to say that, one, an active practice of your faith is what we are called to do as believers. And it also is something that we recognize that the word of God does not return void and putting yourself in a place where you're humbling yourself under God. You know, there's a lot of people I know that say I'm a Christian, but I kind of do whatever I want to do. I read some Bible and I do, you know, in a sense, you're not having to submit yourself to that authority. And so it does really change your perspective and your faith. And it's also not something that is actively shaping all of your life decisions, clearly, if you can't even set aside once a week to show up. And so that being said, within the poll that we conducted, we basically were asking these people, you know, how do you fall politically? So for instance, we asked people who are going to vote for Biden and Trump. Um, and these are people who were who do attend church. So we kind of took people who just say, I'm an evangelical, but I don't attend church. We took them out of the survey. We really just wanted to ask people who are going to church on a regular basis, what do you believe? Where are you at? And so of those people who said they were voting for Trump and Biden, we said, do you believe the Bible's without error? 81% of the people voting for Donald Trump said the Bible's without error. 
and 45% of the people voting for Biden said the Bible's without error. 13% of Trump voters in church regularly said, I think the Bible has errors. And 39% said the Bible doesn't have errors. So anyways, if you want to go to Texas Scorecard, this will be, uh, it's a poll. It says church going Biden voters question the Bible at alarming rates. But I want to get to the policy stuff because that's kind of where this conversation has has headed within these different authority realms. So we asked a question about policy breakdowns. And this is what I found very interesting. When it comes to, uh, you know, Democrat and Republican Bible or church attending Christians, right? Um, we said, do you believe in a border, essentially? And, uh, and, and the truth is, of course, nobody's surprised by all the Trump voters saying, yes, they believe we should have a strong border. 38% of Biden voters said that we should have a strong border. 41 said no. So they really kind of split on that issue. Um, we asked about restrictions on abortion. And again, most Trump voters said abortion should not be legal. And Biden voters, a plurality said that it should be legal. Um, but I will also say that, you know, 48% of Biden voters who were attending churches said they thought that abortion should be either completely illegal or it should only be legal in the cases of rape and incest, which again, I don't want to get into that discussion, but that's not a good exception. But a lot of Trump voters also have that exception. 44% right. said this this thing should be legal. That gets us into a biblical realm, right? Because we're told we're supposed to be speaking out for those who can't speak for themselves and, and trying to fight for this justice. But the interesting thing, and I think this does show a strong divide, is when we asked about universal health care system, do you believe that we should have a universal health care system? Um, you know, of course, 91% of Biden voters said, yes, we should have a universal health care system. And then 14% of Trump voters said, yes, 68% said no, 17% said they're unsure. Even in that situation, this was not like a 90% of Biden voters oppose, you know, support. And this is, this is universal health care. This isn't even like Medicaid expansion. And by the way, if you ask Medicaid expansion, which we didn't, I guarantee you even more Trump voters would have said, yes, I'm in favor of Medicaid expansion. So I yeah. do think that there's this clear confusion in a lot of areas of church on, hey, the government's job in these areas are basically caring for people, um, which I I think largely really does fall on us. And, um, and in, that, in that discussion, when civil government gets involved, and you and I might actually argue less people are going to get help. Even if your goal is to maximize Absolutely. the amount of health care, the amount of support given to these individuals, centralizing it and then distributing it is going to lead to the least amount of support flowing down, right? And so yeah. even if your goal is that, we could have a policy debate about it. But I think what you and I are having is a, an attempt to try to say, well, where does scripture fall on this? And I, I just don't think we are shown clear places where in scripture, we are told to have these large nanny state programs that have been advocated by both parties. Yeah, well, that that's exactly what I was thinking as you're talking there, because you're talking about essentially people who go to church on a weekly basis, why, why do they look a little bit different than other self-identified Christians who don't attend so often? And it basically comes down, I think, you said hum- humbling themselves before God, and I think that's right. It, it's obedience. You know, hmm. When we obey God in our daily lives by going to church, for instance, every Sunday, which he commands us to do, and other things, it, it shapes our lives for in other areas where we have to obey him as well. Mm. So that points us to, all right, so good. We need to obey God when it comes to public policy. Where, where do we go in the Bible 
to find things, to find scriptural direction about whether we should have a welfare state, corporate cronyism we've talked about, uh, Medicaid we've talked about, adoption. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. where do we learn about those types of issues and, and how the Bible can help us make decisions as a Christian? So uh, I think it's a great question. I think that um, first and foremost, we, we are given in the, in the New Testament some of these broader brushstrokes of some of the, I feel like, lanes that are given in authority and not. Uh, I do think that in the Old Testament, we are clearly shown when God comes in and says, I'm going to institute government. He does say, I'm going to try to give a prescription for how I feel like government is going to serve my people the best, right? So there's definitely a lot of insight that we're given throughout the Old Testament on um, different prescriptions as well. As as a whole, I do think, you know, there should be given, and I I would love to get some of your thoughts into this as well, and, and we'll see where this part of the conversation goes. But I, I do think that there has to be given some leniency in some of these issues for um, interpretation and conscience. And and some of right. that can get abused, right? So I think that what we basically have is often people try to give basically subjective truth to the church where they say, oh, this is all going to come down to Christian conscience. So, you know, the, there are issues like abortion that we know are cut and dry, black and white ending of a life formed in the womb by the creator god this is not a this is not up for debate um i do think there is a little more leeway given the further down the food chain you go of like hierarchy in uh priority yeah. meaning we should we should give some more charity towards our fellow christian brothers and sisters as we might differ a little bit on the advantages to the welfare state Right. Um, yeah. And so, I, yeah, I, I don't know if that answers your question, but I want to get kind of into the weeds because th- there sometimes can be a desire to just have an exact biblical answer for every single HB 1282 that comes up. Right. And there's not always. Uh, but I think we are given one, the broader brushstrokes. And then two, we are we are shown, uh, even in the Old Testament, some of the limitations of what should and shouldn't be instituted and some of how government would potentially institute justice. Yeah, I think you're right. I I would say that while there's maybe not biblical direction for every House Bill 1282 that comes up, there's a lot more than most people think there is. You know, let me, I'll bring up Marvin Alasky again. So he taught at my church years ago and has written elsewhere about Hmm. uh, looking at applying scripture to uh, government based on an analogy with uh, the the classification of rapids. Mm-hmm. So uh, class one rapids is, you know, you're kind of going down a, a nice little stream and you got your, you got your paddle boat there and you're just going through and then class two gets a little tougher. Well, by the time you get to class six, uh, you better be a professional with your helmet on mm. and you know, everything else. Otherwise you're not going to make it right. Yeah. And so for instance, as you mentioned, a class one in this perspective would be murder or abortion. Yep. I mean, yep. so murder is really easy because thou shalt not kill. Yep. Uh, abortion, you don't have it quite that easy, but you've got thou shalt not kill and the baby leapt in the womb, right? When when mm-hmm. John heard the voice of Mary. I mean, and there's other passages too you could look at, but yep. th- that's a pretty class one sort of thing. But then it, it gets a little tougher. 
And um, so this past week, I've been writing, the past several weeks, I've been writing a lot about the uh, Texas electricity market and why we yep. all went out of went out of power and those kind of things. And and uh, a week or so ago, I wrote this article that said what the Bible can tell us about the Texas blackouts. And, and I'm sure most people would look at that and think I'm kind of crazy or something. But my perspective on that was that corporate welfare is theft. Mm-hmm. That, that the Bible tells us that thou shall not steal. So you can't go forcibly take money or possessions from somebody else for yourself and use them for your benefit. And I think we're all clear on that. Well, we're all clear on that, at least when it comes to standard laws and those kind of things. But I haven't found anywhere in scripture that says, well, even though that would be theft, it's not theft anymore when the government comes in and takes your property and gives it to somebody else. They just use the government to take your property for you. I I just can't find... The, the scriptural impreneur for that, right? I think it just, yep. it's not there. I think corporate welfare is theft. And therefore, since the Texas electricity market and a significant portion of it, the renewable energy part of it yep. was built on theft, we were just looking for trouble to build an entire market or a significant portion of the market mm-hmm. on theft because mm-hmm. we know when we walk in disobedience to God, bad things are going to happen. We don't know exactly what yep. they are. Uh, but your thoughts around that, not necessarily that, but just generally yeah. as an application of scripture. So, so I think those are good examples of where we can we can look at, first of all, the fact that God's law and the rules that he set up to govern man. Uh, one of the one of the laws we believe is that there's cause and effect. Uh, you reap what you sow. And these are biblical, biblical ideas, biblical principles that we can see play out every single day all around us. And so it's clearly shown that like, and and this is whether it's in the Proverbs or just within the laws of what God has, has done. I think that your point of saying that, hey, when you build a system on a principle of theft, which is in, is literally necessary to ensure a profit, I can tell you there are going to be consequences to that in the future. And those consequences might be revealed when it gets really, really cold and all of a sudden people are going, what's happening? And you go, well, actually, there are some principles in place that were violated that probably set you up to fail from the beginning. And so I think that those instances are really, uh, one, poignant, clear, and and are revealed. I will go one step. I don't know that I would say that it would be a sin to vote for a chapter 313 agreement. And, you know, maybe we get in that conversation, but I I think that's where we get um, maybe a little too far where we can kind of take this principle and then apply it down the food chain and go, hey, that's why I think this is going to have some really negative consequences. In fact, I think that this clearly is not what God would design to be best for his people. And now the question is going to be, uh, how much wiggle room is there within that? So that's, I think, the weight of when you call something biblical or not biblical, um, where I struggle a little bit, to be completely honest. And that's why I kind of try to think through these things very, uh, when I say I want to think slowly enough to consider the weight of that statement. I do think that it's really clear, hey, those principles were violated, you know, and, and by the way, the only way that guy made money was because you all got together and passed a law that stole a bunch of money from all these little people who paid their property taxes exactly. and gave you their money. And then they gave it to this guy. So 
just know if you're going to set up a system like that, then it's doomed for failure. And the consequences are going to be pretty grave. Um, and so that that makes total sense. Yeah, I, I think uh, we can look at the Texas Constitution that until 1987 made it illegal to for corporate welfare. Because, I mean, mm-hmm. you know, as you know, Texas has a gifts clause in its constitution that says the, the, the state, the government can't provide anything of benefit to private individuals. Mm-hmm. And that precluded all corporate welfare yeah. until 1987 when the Texas mm-hmm. legislature passed a constitutional amendment and 51.4% of Texans said, okay, we're going to allow government theft. Because I, I really think mm-hmm. that principle was in the Texas constitution, because they recognized that it was theft by government. We're Mm. not going to allow it. And therefore 51% of Texas voters decided, well, we're just going to ignore that if it's to our benefit. Uh, So we, we can call that sinful or not. And and, and not everybody necessarily understood what they were voting for, but, but, but I think that, and I think this goes to one, uh, this is another point I think is important to make within that broader statement. Um, just you and I are, are are really steeped into Texas politics. So I think it's important to kind of recognize that we are not governed by a moral body right now. I do not believe that the Texas legislature as a whole, the Republican and the Democrat caucus, is a, 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 a body, a, a governing body with a strong moral ethic. In fact, I think that we absolutely it would be like impossible for anyone to prove otherwise. In fact, I would literally debate a, anybody out there <laughs> in all the state of Texas to come and say, I would love to find somebody to tell me, no, the Texas legislature is absolutely as a whole, a <laughs> governing body who has a strong moral ethic, but they don't. And so, no, they don't. so understand that when you look at the policy outcomes of that, it is going to reap what it sows. I mean, the, the fruit the apple's not going to fall far from the tree. And that does not in, that's not an indictment on every single individual in there, but it is an indictment on the legislature as a whole. So with that recognized, it's not surprising that the vast majority of policy that makes its way out it does not it is not confined by ethical standards that are found in scripture. It's not defined. It's not defined by what we know would allow for the maximum amount of human flourishing and the most freedom. That's not gonna. It's not a filter by which even people are considering things. And also, we have injustice in our land that is not looked at as injustice, right? I mean, the, the life issue exactly. of unborn children is a political issue for most governing Republicans in this state. And so I don't want to, you know, because I can say the different things about trying to be careful about how we mince what scripture does or doesn't say. But I think we can clearly look at this and say, look, you do not have a legislature that has a strong conscience for the unborn, right? We point out the fact that even though this session we're going to pass a, a heartbeat bill, is, which is what I believe we're going to see happen out of the Texas legislature, we're doing this following a Democrat over in Louisiana and a Democrat legislature and Democrat governor who passed the same bill two years ago when we could have passed it and didn't. That we're not being driven by our conscience. We're being driven by the political winds that eventually, if they amount enough pressure, will deliver a political win. A victory. So how is a Christian supposed to navigate that? I think they first have to just acknowledge that they're operating in an environment that is is very antithetical to the Christian worldview as a whole. 
that you are not walking into a building of men governed by Scripture who are asking and seeking out what is best and what aligns most with the Word of God who created us all. That's not the environment you're in in Texas. And I don't know about every single state, but I would argue that it's probably not the environment in most states, maybe any state. So if you're a Christian trying to navigate this, you should, you should, in, in a sense, interpret everything with that reality as a lens. Because so many believers, when they look at these policies, they want to assume the best of people. And I don't think that that's necessarily biblical. Because I think, if anything, we're told to assume that the heart is wicked above all things. And so, you know, when we're given this information, I think there's sometimes a naivety that's given when it comes to this assumption that these people would be delivering things that to our benefit. You should probably assume that unless you really know all the ins and outs of this policy or this bill or this thing, that likely it's not delivering what a biblical worldview and filter would deliver for you. And that's a, that's a sad reality that we're in. But it also puts us in a position where we go, oh, if you are a believer who wants to see civil government restored to that perspective and to use those standards as a filter, you're going to have to be actively involved and you're going to have to push and you're going to have to pressure and you're going to have to pray and you're going to have to seek and you're going to have to fight because guess what? That's not the political environment we're in today. Yeah, it's not. And I think that's a good point that ultimately when we look at our political environment in Texas, sadly, and, and certainly in our country, really what that should do what we I hope it would do would drive us all back to Jesus Christ mm. you know, because we we have no hope for this country for this state or for ourselves without mm. him uh, any any last point before we sign off Luke well I think you you started to to wrap us up there in a very uh, well the most important reminder right we're coming up on Easter we're literally in a time where the church is together anticipating. Um, this celebration of the resurrection of Christ, which has literally transformed the world around us and, and has transformed and permanently and eternally redeemed souls that were completely lost. Um, and so at the end of the day, we're so blessed to be in a nation where we still can proclaim that, even though uh, many Republicans and Democrats don't actually quite understand religious liberty. The truth is we're not that persecuted still. We should recognize that as a church. Um, I know churches that are persecuted and we're not one of them. So let's use the liberty and freedom that we still do have to constantly constantly proclaim that truth. Um, even if government does grow, government's grown more in the last year than I've seen it ever in my life. And yes, I fear that it's going to continue to do so. And if it does, here's the point, our ability to obey what we're scripturally commanded to do isn't really reduced. In fact, it's not in, it's not inhibited to the point of where we will ever have to disobey. We will always be able to do that. That's a huge freeing reality as a believer that you should engage in the battle of civil government and try to constrain and restrain these different individuals who are abusing what they have been given by God. And they have been given that by God. Every single one of those state reps and those state senators should thank God for the power that they have even though they are probably abusing that power. But the truth is that we as a believer can take off the responsibility of ourselves to that that you will not be prevented from obeying 
the scripture and the word of God, regardless of the civil government over you, regardless of whether you have a governor or a king, though we can fight, advocate, articulate the need for a better society that actually reflects those truths. Because if those truths are reflected, then I do believe there will be far more Texans that actually flourish, whose needs are met, who actually are able to, you know, find better things. And then hopefully at the end of the day, all of that gets reverted back to um, a place, a place where people can desperately seek out the scripture. And that's also the interesting, you know, dichotomy that often exists where often when it's when societies are in the hardest parts um, that the churches flourish even more. And so in the event that it, in some ways we should also just remember this as Christians, we're in a win-win scenario. Um, if, if these principles are instituted in government, then more people are going to benefit. Even those people who don't know the Lord are going to benefit from that. And guess what? If these principles are ignored, then hard times are going to come. And you know what's going to benefit from that? The church. We should, because these people should be even more desperate for for knowing actually eternally where they lie, and hopefully we'll find uh, the the resting place within the gospel. So, I don't, amen. That's my yeah. That that's a great freeing point that that we can obey and we can turn to God and we can trust in Him and and. And sometimes even the worst circumstances can point us to that. Mm. And and even that knowledge isn't diminished by the possibility that our obedience might have higher cost and bring us more pain. But mm. we can still get through that and see Jesus Christ at the end. So, well, thank you very much for being with us today on the Liberty Cafe, Luke. Thank you, Bill. I appreciate you for having me on. And thanks to our sponsor, this week and every week, Texas Scorecard. Thank you for listening to the Liberty Cafe with Bill Peacock. This show is produced by Texas Scorecard. You can learn more about this show and find other shows at texasscorecard.com. Be sure you subscribe and rate this show on whatever platform you listen on. See you next time.